So John, this discussion with Jake about the future of electric motorcycles was fascinating. Um, where are you on this whole thing? What, what's your thought? Would you drive an electric motorcycle? I love electric motorcycles. I'm super excited about electric motorcycles. You are? Yeah. Well, I, I thought you were you were talking the other day about you know get, buying yourself a uh, gas-fired blender and toaster and uh, computer. I mean, you're like uh, the fossil fuel king around here. Yeah, Mark. Listen, I think anybody that rides a internal combustion engine motorcycle is excited about what the future holds. Um, I'm much more open-minded than that. Thank you for trying to characterize me differently. Well, we'll see what this uh, podcast brings. But Welcome to the Behind the Bars podcast, where we discuss all things motorcycles, memories, and mayhem. Oh, this is awesome. Sponsored by Wilkins Harley-Davidson. Let's get this thing started. Here's John and Mark. So on the line with us is Jake Bright. Uh, Jake is a writer, an author, a consultant. Uh, he contributes to uh, Revzilla, uh, TechCrunch, but he just wrote a a really great article on electric motorcycles. Welcome, Jake. Thanks, guys. Great to be on. So, Jake, I, you know the the uh, you've had quite a career. You, from my perspective having read and seen a lot of uh, different things you've done, both in, in being an author, but also uh, contributing to TED as a speaker. Um, you seem to be kind of, um, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm uh, over speaking here, but on the forefront of, of uh, trends. Am I accurate in that? Well, you know, I hope so. Um, the story I did at TechCrunch were basically, what I did is I thought it up uh, I, I did a story where I got, you know, I got it approved. I went out to California, and I did this little tour where I visited and interviewed the CEOs of three of the, the most prominent um, e-motorcycle companies. And then I also got a chance to ride ride the bikes. Um, so, you know, what that I was doing was kind of connecting some of the work I've been doing recently with technology and business. But it really goes back, John, to the fact that fundamentally I'm <laughs> – I'm a dirt dog at heart and a you know a gearhead at heart in terms of growing up riding, starting with motocross, off road. Um, so yeah, it's it's a little bit old and new in this story, um, and you know some of that came out in it. Some of it maybe there's more to talk about here. So so you know you've you uh, worked with uh, the Department of Commerce, um, and you kind of in what I've seen and what I've read. It seems to be you were kind of predicting, um, or you have a, a good track record of predicting some of the some of the things that are coming at us. And you and you mentioned in this article for the listeners that haven't read this article that you think uh, electric bikes are uh, kind of a rebirth. Is that accurate? Well, I, I think I, I think what's really tricky right now is. And this is why it's so cool to be maybe less so if you're <laughs> if you're on the revenue side, but in terms of somebody who's a, an end user of and somebody who gets to cover just transit and mobility right now, we're really in a position where you know things that kind of were static or semi-static over you know periods of time of like five and ten years with motorcycles, with cars, with the way we get around, we just have no idea what's going to happen next week or next year. Um, and what I tried to, to bring into this story with these three, uh, you know, 
Emoto startups, Alta, Energica, and Zero, is what they were doing and where this could fit into the motorcycle industry, how it could affect it. Um, and then also even beyond that, how what these three electric motorcycle startups are doing could affect the entire EV kind of uh, scope in terms of cars and everything to do with electric transit. And basically one of the predictions I have was that I think that um, I think that you're going to see a larger percentage of the motorcycle industry for several reasons shift to electric. And I don't think you're going to see some, you know, like sea change moment where it's all going to happen really quickly. But I think you're going to see gradually you're going to see larger percentages of people who are buying and riding motorcycles uh, shift to electric vehicles for a number of reasons. Hey, Jake, I think it's, um, you know, John tries to characterize me as the touchy-feely guy, and yet he just used the word rebirth in his first question to you, which I think is a bit ironic. Uh, When I think of rebirth, um, I think of the phrase, well, I was born right the first time. And so my question is, what's wrong with good old gas-powered motorcycles? Well, look, I mean, another thing, to, to, to get to that question, another thing to dig into with this article, and what I tried to do is also um, weave kind of what I found with these, these electric startups and my impressions riding, riding them. I tried to weave that into the current narrative, and I, you know, I dug up some facts on just the state of the motorcycle industry, especially in the United States. And Motorcycle Industry Council gave me the stats, and basically what you see is that you see that the motorcycle industry in the U.S. has really, you know, really been in the doldrums since the recession. I mean, you had a 50% drop in new bike sales uh, since 2008, and that just hasn't come up. Um, you see also that if you dig into the demographics of who's buying new bikes, um, it's really baby boomers who, that's great. Um, you know, I love my parents. <laughs> but um, if, you're a, if you're a manufacturer and your, your primary market segment is a group of people who are older and getting older. That's something a bit concerning. And the other thing I found, and this wasn't from MIC, um, I found some other data that also showed that people are buying motorcycles. If you get into statistics about just registrations versus new bike sales, that people are buying motorcycles, they're just buying used ones. And another thing that came out in the MIC data was that the only demographic in the U.S. who had started to buy more motorcycles in 2008 is women. Um, so, you know, to your question, I think that's the big question. What is going on in that people are not buying motorcycles, uh, new motorcycles, and they're buying used ones more in the U.S. market? Um, I don't exactly know what the answer to that is, but I, I do think, and one of the things I predicted in the story, is that the experience of riding electric motorcycles, the tech aspect, um, and, and as these guys continue to close gaps with gas bikes in terms of, and the big gaps really, there's like a couple ups and a couple downs that they have to close, right? The ups is that they have to increase the range. Um, they have to increase the, the power, although the power gap is almost already closed. They have to bring the price and the weight, weight down. So I think as these electric motorcycle companies start to close those gaps, um, I don't know if it'll fix whatever the problem is with the gas motorcycle industry and gas bikes and why people are buying less of them, but I think it could be a spark that brings some new people into riding. So Pretty long-winded answer to your question. So, so a couple things. is Notice I didn't respond to, to uh, Mark's um, uh, attack on me about using the word rebirth because 
it, it doesn't it doesn't suit anybody's purposes to to uh, respond to him anymore. He just he just does that, Jake. But um, you know, you mentioned about Alta Zero. You know, how are they going to scale? How, how you know? Because currently they can't make any money, or or they're not going to profit to be able to reinvest. Um, how how are they going to scale? No, I mean you hit the nail on the head, and um, Zero CEO Sam Paschal talked about that, and it's quoted in the story that yeah, these guys have a burn rate, um, and this is really more on the business side, just like the the EV companies like Tesla. Um, you know they're burning through obviously um, more capital um, than they're making in revenue, and the key is is how to scale. Um, and that, that's the trip that these guys will have to figure out. And, you know, there's a little bit more to the story. I, you know, you get like a, a thousand words to write about this stuff. One of the things I think is, is so each of these three EVs, EV companies, Alta, Energica, and Zero, they're going to have to figure out how to make money. And we've seen that in the electric vehicle space, that's really tricky. But one of the things I think is that whether they make money or not, um, what they're doing right now and their existence in the space, could actually um, have an influence on the industry beyond whether they're actually profitable. Because I think what could happen is, one, the fact that the motorcycle industry is, is in, you know, sales are so down. There's just, uh, and, and this was really evident, I think, in Harley announcing, I also did a piece on Harley announcing its electric motorcycle project and the fact that they'll go live with something production by, I think it's August 2019. Like, that was really unexpected, right? Like, if you look at all the big major motorcycle companies, the one that you, that I would have predicted would have been out front first in terms of committing to an, an EV production bike would be Harley. So anyways, what, what I'm getting at... Why, why do you say that, Jake? Why, why, do you, why do you say that you, you, you felt they would be the first to come out? Well, I, it's just when you get into Harley, Harley has... Harley really is... You know, you don't... You think about it as really a, a heritage legacy company that's, you know, really taken the, the past template of of what a motorcycle is expected to be to people in terms of, you know, a big, loud, chrome bike. And I, I know that Har- like Harley's continued to update and refine a model that probably, you, I mean, you guys are much better on this. It goes back years and years. Um, you don't necessarily think of Harley for as much as, as we all love Harley as a tech company, as um, the first company that would commit to a production electric vehicle over the likes of a, of a Honda or a Yamaha or a Suzuki or some of the others. So I think it was a little bit um, unexpected. The other thing is that, you know, I grew up around Harley guys. <laughs> my, my grandpa had Harleys, you know, back to the, the hand shifter. My uncle's a Harley guy. And I know the culture. And, you know, I just like Harley guys to me are not... <laughs> You just don't seem like Harley guys and girls, I should add, don't seem like the, the typical early adopters um, when it comes to, you know, giving up a combustion, <laughs> internal combustion engine and sound and going, going electric, right? So I think, I think the Harley commitment really tells me that there's room for all kinds of unexpected stuff in the motorcycle industry right now for a number of reasons. And, and going back to your question about whether or not Energica Zero or um, Alta can be profitable, even if in the end they aren't, um, there could be potential for them to really uh, push the, the gas companies to all come out, move EV concepts to 
reality. There could also be a push for gas companies to say, hey, we're really behind. And man, Harley's coming out with the production bike. We're not selling bikes. We've got to figure out a way to, to attract the millennials. Maybe we'll buy one of these. Um, these, uh, you know, companies like Energica or Zero or Ulta, um, and we'll buy them to fast track the technology and really get on board here. Yeah. So, so what's the what's Harley's play with Alta? I mean, why why you know that's been disclosed, but but still very quiet. What's the play there? Well, you know, I pressed. It, it was kind of a, a cool day. It was like the best of both worlds for me. When I went to Alta, I got to tour the factory. Then I got to do all the business stuff before we went out and actually rode the bikes. But I pressed Mark Fenningstein, the head of product development, on um, on the business play and what they were going to do with Harley. And I got to be careful here because you can imagine that uh, they were very, very specific <laughs> when it came to this. And we're even correcting one thing on the article. Um, what Mark basically said was that what Harley announced in terms of taking the Livewire project and committing that that will take that will turn into some kind of a production electric motorcycle for sale by August 19. He said that Alta's partnership with Harley is not that. So I pressed him more. Um, you know, Harley took an equity stake. One of the corrections we're doing in the article is I put in there that Harley took a board seat. They actually didn't. But he said that they're working on, they're working on a, a co-development project with Harley. And I pressed him, will that produce an electric motorcycle? And his... his um, his response was yes. Now, I'll tell you what I think they're going to do. And I have to say, I have to premise this. This is not with anything on the record from Alta. Um, this comes from my conversation with them, and this comes with my background conversation with some of the other execs from other companies during this trip where I went out and met with these guys and tested these bikes. I think they're going to build a, a dirt track bike. <laughs> That's my prediction. I think, um, I think they're, they're going to build something first to put on the dirt track circuit. And that's completely my prediction. I have very little to base that on, except just some of the conversations I had with these guys. Um, so we'll see. Hmm. Interesting. <clears throat> so, Jake, I-, I couldn't agree with you more that that the Harley culture and electric technology seems incongruous um, and, a, and really a reach. So what I'm curious about is how does Harley uh, produce an electric motorcycle that's going to appeal to our culture and still maintain its Harleyness. I mean, when you take that that big V twin out of it, the vibration, the sound, the power of it, and you replace it with something that um, is what seems to be anyway to be so much more delicate in all respects. How do you maintain the Harleyness of the live wire? I think this is really the trick, but this is what. You know, I can get into the business, I can get into the tech of this story. I'll tell you that what really blew my mind in the story is you had something else going on, right? In addition to all this other stuff, you had me, somebody who's ridden gas since I was nine, ridden two strokes and dirt bikes and, you know, inline fours and had never ridden a, a, an electric motorcycle. It was my first time riding these things, and I really didn't know what to expect, right? I'll tell you what my impression was, and what I'm getting at with this is that I think that I think that we're in a, a stage where what's cons- like preferences in what's considered motorcycling are really, you know, possibly changing rapidly. And I also think this is an aside point. 
I think that Harley and the motorcycle industry is also dealing with, they have like two different market segments, right? They have the one you're talking about that's kind of attached to a conception of motorcycling that, that fits to what you're saying, chrome and steel and big engines. And you have another one that's kind of being formed as we speak of younger people who may, may wrap their preferences around a completely different concept of what motorcycling is than what I grew up with and what you guys grew up with, that my uncle grew up with, my dad or my grandpa. So let's swing back to me getting on these e-bikes, <laughs> having pretty much been raised in that traditional motorcycle culture for the first time. I'll tell you what I thought I was going to think. I thought I was going to think it kind of cool for like the first 5, 10, 15 minutes, and then I was going to automatically want to like kind of hanker to go back to a gas bike. What ended up happening is I absolutely freaking loved it. Um, the experience of riding an e-bike, um, I, I did this thing where, you know, with Energica, I mean, this is like a high-end Italian um, electric motorcycle. This thing, I mean, the, the Ego they have has 145 foot-pounds of torque. It's like riding a lightning bolt, and it's steady stream. Um, you know, you don't think about, you think you shift so fast and that, you know, the space between the gears and clutch is nothing. It's just a steady stream of power. Um, it's really hard to explain what it's like riding these things. It's almost like, imagine, this is what I tried to describe what it's like to ride these electric motorcycles. You know, it's almost like, you know, when you're in second gear and you're at the peak of the torque curve, imagine that you don't have to shift and you can rev that out, right? So in any case, the experience riding these electric motorcycles, after I got off each one, after I got off the Energica, after I got off the Alta dirt bike, after I got off the Zero SR, I thought to myself, if there were gas bikes, any gas bike I wanted to ride right now, sitting out here, which one would I ride? And in each case, I still would have taken the electric bike. So I think that the, the sensation, the experience of these things um, may turn a lot of people's minds and may turn even a lot of Harley riders who get on one and experience it for themselves and say, hey, you know, there may be a different kind of motorcycling that I'm willing to accept. So, do you think the the taint, the changing, the potentially changing face of Harley Davidson uh, to a more progressive looking uh, model is going to make the brand more appealing to these uh, younger riders? Do you think that that they're actually resisting getting involved with Harley at this point because they don't want the same association with their you know their dads and their grandpas, and now the brand will become something they can adopt themselves because it's so radically different? Look, guys, I don't know how Harley's going to do this. I think, and, and I think we've already seen Harley do stuff that even from my kind of understanding of hardcore Harley culture, we wouldn't imagine, right? Going to smaller CC lighter bikes, you know, I, from my exposure to Harley culture like that, that was kind of, you guys said, like, we could use explicit language here. I know Harley guys that immediately, immediately thought that was like a pussy move, right? <laughs> you know, that's happened. We crossed that line, you know. Building smaller, lighter bikes to attract the women. Um, which, which, that line. which the which which for many dealers has been a home run. Yeah. The 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 street models and the sportster models. You know, I, I understand that that not across the board in every dealership, but um, the XG seven fifty and five hundred have been good selling motorcycles and absolutely fantastic riding academy motorcycles to to train people on well look that says it and here look i'll tell you what i think i think harley has a really big challenge 
and this is what they have to do. They have to now try to create motorcycles and appeal to two very different market segments, one of which, one is the, the one that's typical that we know, all of the Harley heritage and legacy. And, you know, Harley has a big uh, burden on their shoulders in a way in terms of this, this. Like, Harley is bigger than just bikes. This is a very much an American story. They've got to they've got to continue to maintain that legacy, satisfy the core base of what those people are and what they think Harley is. But I think to survive, they have to simultaneously try to create something that pulls in new people, that appeals to this other demographic, and actually create a demographic that may not be there. That has totally different ideas about what they want to do with motorcycling. And the trick in all that is to do it in a way where one of those two sides doesn't wreck the other one, right? So they, my imagination, and I talked about this with Mark Fennigstein at, at Ulta, is that, you know, like sometime in the next couple of years, you're going to have a guy in a road king <laughs> that's 50 years old, and some kid, you know, some 20 or 30-year-old kid is going to pull up on a, on a live wire. Um, and that's got to kind of work in some way, right? How they fine-tune all that and get, get all the details of that, you know, that's what Harley's going to have to figure out, and they got a lot of smart people. But I think they're going to have to, they're going to, have to play to these two market segments, while, and one they're going to create without either one kind of wrecking the other. Well, I, I mean, there's a precedent. I mean, we can look at a company like Toyota and say, well, they're, you know, they're producing the Prius and these other electric um, you know, cars, and they, they're coexisting in the marketplace with their traditional powered cars. And pickup and, trucks. And pickup trucks. This is the first uh, comment that you've made in, in 11 or 12 podcasts that, that actually makes sense to me. Really? Well, <laughs> well, we'll celebrate. Well, let we'll me celebrate say that. that. They all makes sense. I just actually agree with what you're, what you're, but where you're yeah, going. Uh, with this. Well, see, now that's a distinction. Really, that's a distinction I could leave. Kind of with. a bell, like a bell moment, or some kind of. Well, I'm gonna, we're gonna add a some type of. When you guys actually agree. We will add some type of sound effect to this and editing. Yeah. To make sure that that, that John agrees with Mark. So keep Semantic, on going. Da-da. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Well, thank you, John, for the compliment, rare as it may be. Uh, but so the precedent has been set with some companies, even Chevrolet, another iconic American brand, has the Volt. So they are, they are releasing and still maintaining their their culture. Uh, you're still going to have the Corvette in the parking lot right next to the Volt. So I don't think this is a completely crazy idea by Harley Davidson. And yet, when I look at these other brands that are doing it. I say, well, what does the Volt have in common with the VET? And what does the Prius have in common with the Tacoma? And how are they maintaining that brand image while they're exploring this new marketplace? And so I'm still perplexed with how Harley is going to make these bikes distinctly Harley-esque, even though they... Look, I, I, I think you're right. I think the difference, though, is that in my estimate, Chevrolet doesn't have the same kind of rigid audience um, that I think Harley does in terms of their expectation of what a Harley Davidson is. I, I think that I think that, that you know Chevy and Jim's a bigger company. I think I think Harley riders and Harley the Harley community is a much more kind of defined kind of you know they're very set in their in their expectations of what a Harley is. Now I'll go back to how I think 
this is just me speculating, right? But I, here's how I think Harley could solve that. And it goes back to my dirt track thesis. To your question of, you know, how could you get get this this community to accept something? Here, here's my idea. Imagine that Harley built, imagine that this, this dirt track idea is what happens. And they build a kick-ass dirt track bike that just blows away the competition, hauls ass, you know, uh, and people get to watch that. To me, that would be the fastest way for for people to maybe who wouldn't have thought about Harley building something electric, you know, seeing a bike hauling ass on the dirt track, beating gas bikes, that'd be a pretty good way to change people's minds or at least get them to, to not totally reject Harley building an electric bike right away, right? Well, that would be assuming that performance is uh, the main draw to a Harley Davidson, which I don't believe is true. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it maybe it, it would it would open up some acceptability, but then you're right, it's still, in terms of people actually wanting to buy a production bike, um, you know, and, and go in the shop, I don't know. But, you know, let me let me throw a question to you guys. Like, I don't know the, the demographic or the kind of people that come in to the shop, but, I mean, here's a question. If Harley did build something that was electric, or does build something that's electric, that found some appeal to millennials, you know, and you could put it in a corner of the shop, not not take over the shop. Do you think that would increase the flow? Do you think maybe that would, you know, pull in some younger people that don't come and show up and, and you know kick tires on the weekend? Well, I think I think uh, dealerships in America are going to have to think differently, right? You know, we've we we've traditionally had customers that come in, and we just ha- are going to have to interact with with those folks that come in differently we're going to have to have a uh, an area that is it's not going to set next to a, a, a road king or a street glide that would that would be detrimental you know it has to be a different interaction a different experience altogether um i think many dealerships are certainly capable and ready for that i know um the limited amount of information that that harley has told its dealers in the country is is uh, there'll be more information at the at the dealer show uh you know this uh this uh, august late august early september and uh, we'll start learning about that but if i were harley i would certainly be planning on making sure its dealers ha- are thinking differently about how to interact with these 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 young people that are coming in and um, you know, that's just going to, is that going to be requiring different staff? Is it going to require a uh, different type part of the showroom? You know, what, what is that? It's just, we, our systems are not set up currently to engage that, that customer. And I'm going to answer. But you know what, to that, to that point, John, um, a case study that's come up in, in some of this work I've been doing on the motorcycle industry is Ducati Scrambler. And uh, it came up in some of my conversations out west about, you know, how Ducati, Ducati has kind of created a scrambler line. It's semi-entry level. Um, they've created an entirely different brand, an entirely different marketing um, uh, kind of uh, concept for it. And what they've started to do in the dealers is they've created a whole different section, like for just scramblers, that's offset from Harley's other, or sorry, Ducati's other uh, high-performance motorcycles. So the Scrambler, you know, the Scrambler model from both the design, but also how they've been able to attract to young millennials and hipsters, and also do it in a way that's kind of separate from um, some of Ducati's other models has come up as as a case study of, you know, maybe 
that's how Harley could position, um, from a marketing and a dealer perspective, these uh, electric bikes that they make. Jake, I, I'm going to uh, answer your question about you know how I perceive uh, it, as as John did already from a little bit of a different perspective. Um, I'm fifty. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm fifty five years old. Um, and I am really excited about the potential of an electric motorcycle in the Harley-Davidson line because I'm a futurist. I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, progress and, and, and progressive thinking. So I'm very attracted, and I'm not a millennial. I'm actually a boomer, um, but I think there's potential that uh, our core group will, in fact, embrace this to some degree um, just because they want to experience something that is out of their ordinary. So for me, uh, that's my attraction to it. And I, I actually think it has a pretty bright future. I'm playing the devil's ad advocate a little bit here. Um, but fact of the matter is, is that uh, I am not going to buy a Harley Davidson motorcycle uh, before August of 2019. And there's a very simple reason for that. Wow. Well, the, Mark, Let's just talk about that for a second here. So personally, so, yeah, personally. no, no, I get that personally. So it, it, I mean, but you're you're a different guy. I am. I'm an outlier. You're, you're, you are an outlier. I mean, uh, you eat kale. I eat kale. I hug trees. You you do hug trees. I do hug trees, but um, I I also think. But you love but you're our. Def you're you, definitely better off in Vermont than New Hampshire, huh? We, well, well, New Hampshire, we, we, they got a lot of a lot of folks over there that are tree huggers too. Okay, it's, it's, it's true. But, but, but ultimately, also, what you're saying is you you still love our. I love the brand. The, the, I love the, the image. I love the our internal combustion engine. You still love it. I you do. ride it. I do. But for you, you're excited about this, and and you're willing to wait. Well, um, which concerns Mark, me. Mark, I'm, I'm with you, and here's here's what I think. I I was starting to think about this one or the other, and I think there's going to be a temptation of the press because it makes good press. To, to frame this as one's going to beat the other. You know, I did this test out in California. That was great. I think a lot of this is a question of just getting butts on seats because it's hard to explain the e-motorcycle experience. But for the past couple of weeks, I've had some test bikes, right? So I had a Ducati um, Multistrada 1260S. So I had that for a week, and then I went right from that to, I've had a Zero FXS, which is a Zero's electric supermoto. You know what? I love them both. Um, you know, I, I went right from one bike. I dropped one bike off, went to the, the Zero uh, guys in New York, and picked up another one. And, it, you know, it wasn't like, okay, I want this one over that one. I, it's my ideal world, I've had both those bikes <laughs> be able to pick any day uh, which one I would ride, right? So, you know, I think the overall experience, um, you know, people may ride, like to ride both. I, I agree with you, Jake, and I, I have to say that the best analogy that I can think of is um, I want solar panels all over the roof of my house, but I'm never getting rid of my wood-burning stove. It's going to provide that experience that I'm most familiar with, that I love and have loved forever, but I want the progressive lifestyle that the solar panels uh, are going to provide for me. So. I don't think that's far off of what we're talking here. It's, 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 it's entirely possible for these two things to coexist and enhance our lives uh, in, in, in different ways, but both be um, really wonderful ways to experience riding two wheels. So that's my perspective. Yeah, and going, going back to the tech, there, to get to that point, though, there's still a ways that these electric motorcycle companies have to go 
because there's still been some inconvenience in them, right? You know, they need to be more charging stations. They need to increase, uh, you know, the riding distance that you can go on a battery because they're great to ride, but still you, you have to not also be inconvenienced where you're kind of the guy lagging behind or, you know, you can't ride as far as everybody else because you're on the e-bike. So, but I, I know that these companies are working hard um, to bridge those gaps. How, how far do they have to go, Jake? Before they're before you know, how, what's the range that you feel like a, a bike needs to go in order for someone to have that that lessen that range anxiety? Well, I'll tell you right now, I have the Zero FXS, and it needs to go a little further. I live outside New York, and uh, on a full charge, going from Manhattan to where I live, which is in Westchester County, um, which is about fifty minutes on the highway or forty. You know, I get down from 100 to 30%. So basically, I would not I would not be able, if I had this bike and I wanted to commute back and forth every day, I wouldn't be able to do it every day without charging while I was at work. So I, I think you need to get up to like, a, you know, something close, 150 miles maybe. Okay. Um, but that's what these, these electric motorcycles have to work on. They have to close. Basically, what you have to have is you, you have to like the rider experience. But you, all the all the things that make them, besides liking the riding experience over a gas motorcycle, the things that make them, the disadvantages they have, all these gaps have to close. The weight has to come down. The prices have to come down. The charging times have to come down. Um, the power is almost there, except on the top end. The torque actually outdoes uh, of everything I've ridden. Actually, outdoes a lot of the fastest gas bikes I've ridden. Um, and then um, there's one other one I was forgetting, but yeah, they have to close those gaps so that you know when you're when you're doing your checklist, <laughs> it's really you know there's not a lot of things that say you know what uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna tip toward gas even though I really dig this electric thing. Hmm. Well, we have uh, we are slowly running out of time. Jake, tell us what what's what's in the future for you. You you've got a a, a great track record of nailing things down. What are you working on that you can talk about? Well, you know, I'm going to continue to work on testing. Um, I'm, I'm trying to find a mix of both, you know, just doing straight-on testing of, of motorcycles, but then also, um, you know, taking that into this conversation of the future of motorcycling. And with that, you know, a big chunk of that is, is also including some analysis of the business side because, you know, the business drives everything. So I'll keep covering um, e-bikes at TechCrunch, really electric not electric there's not a lot of coverage space but i'll keep covering motorcycles uh, you know e-bikes at tech crunch and i'm working on a future of motorcycling a little series for revzilla common tread where i'm going to get into why i think um, a percentage of the motorcycle rider community is going to shift electric i'm going to get into some of this industry um you know industry-led rider experience stuff about how the industry can pull more people into motorcycling. And then I have an article that I'm working on about how, what I think a better entry-level motorcycle would be to pull in young people. Um, so that's on <clears throat> that's on the horizon. And then, you know, I've also been working on a, a TV treatment for a, a motorcycle adventure show. Um, that's kind of early stage, but <laughs> something's been registered uh, in you know, in an early pitch stage. But what I'd like to do is I'd like to find a way to merge something that's a little bit like like a Top Gear, 
with an Anthony Bourdain, um, not, not the tragic part, but, um, you know, doing stuff that's testing and, and um, you know, doing challenges on motorcycles, but also documenting uh, rider experience and experience the world on and then the U.S. on bikes. That would be cool. Yeah, it would. That would be very, very cool. We uh, we, we did a, a, a podcast with uh, Charlie Borman, um, or I should say I did the podcast. Mark was on vacation. But either way, um, that's uh, you're on to something. That's very cool. Well, look, let's touch base. Um, a lot of these things, uh, you know, even this conversation started as, you know, I took a long time off of riding. And I started kicking around, like, you know, I want to get back involved with motorcycles and my DNA. And, you know, I didn't even start testing and writing until a year and a half ago. So um, a lot of these things start as ideas, and uh, you start to kick them around and have conversations and tighten them up. And, um, you know, sometimes they can turn into cool stuff. Let's uh, let us circle back, Jake, when when uh, when we get closer to some some. Uh actual product that um you know from harley davidson we would love to have you back on the podcast to talk about that i would presume you would be testing that out as well and i talk uh, i talk to harley i remind them all the time wonderful as soon as you guys have something uh, something electric for me to test and ride and write about do not forget me i'm sure <laughs> they up on your list I'm, I'm sure they won't forget you yeah, you've, you've really piqued my interest, Jake, with your mentioning uh, of what your vision is for an entry-level motorcycle, whether it's gas or electric. I'd be really curious to hear what that bike well, looks like. I'll give you a preview. Whether it's gas or electric, I think the entire industry for experts and beginners needs to go on a big diet. I don't like heavy bikes. Understood. That makes sense. We hear that. We hear that. Oh. Well, uh, let, when when uh, when you were close to uh, that the, unveiling that article, Jake, uh, we'd love to have you circle back with us, and uh, maybe we can do a follow up even on that topic because that's something that's uh, near and dear to us as well, and we're certainly interested in that. Um, but love to love to circle back with you. Absolutely, let's stay in touch. All right, Jake, thank you so much. This is uh, Jake Bright. That was an awesome conversation, and uh, we'll be in touch with you soon, Jake. Thank you. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you, Jake. Thanks for listening to the Behind the Bars podcast, sponsored by Wilkins Harley-Davidson. Stay tuned for our next exciting podcast. Check out additional information on WilkinsHarley.com.